grab a Bible and, uh, or a device with a Bible on it, turn to Luke's Gospel chapter 9. Uh, we started a series last week that we are calling uh, Enemies of the Heart. And when I, when I talk about the heart, I'm not, really, I'm not really talking about that amazing organ in your body that God designed to you know, pump blood and oxygen through um, our tissues and through parts of our body. I'm really talking about the invisible part of uh, your body. I'm talking about that uh, part of you that enables you to live and, and love and experience life. I'm talking about that thing that poets and songwriters and philosophers and preachers talk about a lot, uh, talking about your heart. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at different life blockers, if you will, different different threats to that spiritual center of your life. And the life blocker that I want to look at today is the life blocker of, a, of discontentment or dissatisfaction in life. Now, um, you know, as I was thinking about how to introduce this today, I, I was reading about, um, you know, the economy in the United States is just humming right now. I mean, it's probably the best it's been in 15 years, uh, according to the experts. And what's fascinating is that even though that's the case, uh, more Americans today say that they're depressed and anxious and discontent than ever before. All right, so the economy is doing great, but more people are saying they're not, they're not happy than ever before. In fact, they, they actually have a way that they measure this. So the Gallup organization does surveys of Americans every single year. They survey, they survey about 2.5 million people, and they just ask different questions uh, around this topic of, of kind of subjective well-being. And, um, and so they ask a number of questions like your relationships, your finances, your, your physical health, just a number of things. And they, they compile this information. And what they've noted, and this is according to a guy named Richard Florida who's written this book, The Unhappy States of America. He talks about that, that whatever number that they use to measure that is down sharply in the United States, which is really kind of interesting because that's not what you'd expect with the economy doing so well. Uh, you would think that there's a direct correlation between people saying that they're happy and the economy doing well, but that's not really the case at all. And so I think it really begs the question for you and for me, and I think the question is this, how's your heart today? You know, how content and satisfied with life are you? You know, as you kind of think about that and assess that, what would be the one thing that you need so that you could be happy and content and satisfied? What would that one thing be? It's a really good question, isn't it? It's a question I think we need to come back to time and time again. We need to ask it and, and re-ask it. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Because I think there's, there's some interesting, interesting pictures of Jesus that we get related to this very question. And I think what we're going to see is really just on the surface, Jesus actually feeding a crowd of significantly larger than 5,000. Certainly not any less, but he feeds them physically. But we're also going to see that there's a truth behind what he's trying to do. And that truth is he's the one who feeds us spiritually. He is the bread that satisfies our hearts. And that's what we're going to, that's what we really want to look at today. Now, he obviously, in this amazing miracle that he, that he does, he feeds them with a few loaves of bread and some fish. And I was just thinking about bread. Do you ever realize everywhere you can get bread anywhere in the world? You know that? Like you, every, 
culture, every continent, every country, every, you know, everybody has bread and everybody looks to bread as their sustenance. Have you, have you ever, you ever really realized that? Um, I mean, think about this. It's, it's the most common staple in the world. So the French, you know, in France, they have baguettes, right? They do. And then Italians, they, they make their bread a little bit different. They call it, they call it ciabatta bread. It's a little bit thinner, uh, but they, they, they call it ciabatta bread. Uh, Germans, they, they like pumpernickel. That's not my favorite, um, maybe, maybe it's yours. You know, they use pumpernickel bread all the time. Uh, in, middle, in the Middle East, um, they, they, uh, they like falafels and they use pita bread to make a falafel with, and it's really, really good. Uh, but by far, there is no question, the best bread on the planet comes from Hawaii. Hawaiian rolls, those are the best. <laughs> I mean, am I right on that or not? And you know, the good news on that, you don't have to go, you don't have to go to Hawaii, you can go to Meyer and get that stuff all you want to. That's what I love about that. And so all over the world, people find sustenance from bread. And you know, that's the, that's the way it was in ancient societies as well, in biblical days. In fact, most of us think, you know, you know, everybody back then in Jesus' day, you know, they were meat eaters and they'd eat meat and vegetables all the time. That's not really the case. Most people ate bread for most of their diet. Bread was really their source of sustenance for them. And so for, you know, for, for most people, you know, if, if you had bread, you had life. If you didn't have bread, it wasn't going well for you because you weren't going to live very long. And that's why when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, that's why he said, you know, part of your prayer needs to be, you know, give us this day our daily, yeah, right? Because what is bread? It's something that sustains us and it's something that satisfies us. And that's exactly what we see in scripture. It's really, really important. I think that, I think the next level question down is this, how hungry are you today? How hungry are you? Because you see, God wants to give you bread that satisfies you physically, but he really wants to give you the bread that satisfies you spiritually. That's the bread you really want. And so let's look at it today. We're going to read, a, read this from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. We're going to read verses 10 through 17. And then I'm going to show you two verses from the Gospel of John that follows up this very same miracle that John tells. We're just going to look at two verses real quick. So I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God today. So Luke tells us on their, on their return, the apostles told him that all that they had done. And when he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And then when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And now, now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and, and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples 
to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, so what, what Luke does in this passage is he, he really gives us three pictures of Jesus all around this, this question of satisfaction, of contentment, um, this question of you know, really joy and happiness in life. And I think the pictures are this. I think in this, in this miracle, we see Jesus as our sufficiency. We see Jesus as our satisfaction. And then we see Jesus as our supply. So sufficiency, satisfaction, and supply. Let's look at the first one. Jesus is our sufficiency. Now, the thing about recognizing the sufficiency of Jesus really begins kind of in a paradoxical place. It really begins, it really begins with, with you recognizing your insufficiency. So, so you can't see Jesus' sufficiency until you recognize his sufficiency, right? Or your insufficiency, I should say. In other words, another way to put it would be this. You're never going to eat the bread until you realize how desperately hungry you are. That's it. You're never going to see Jesus' sufficiency if you don't see your inability, if you don't see your weakness, the fact that you, you don't have what it takes to meet the need of the day, that you're insufficient. That's where it begins, and that's what we're going to see. Let me show you this. Look at verse 12. Now, let, let me kind of set up what's happening. So Jesus had already been ministering to the crowds. He, he kind of slips away from the crowds, which he tried to do regularly. And so he, he walks around the Sea of Galilee, goes up by Bethsaida, leaves that city, and he is out in the boondocks, all right? He is out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so the disciples and Jesus, they look behind them, and there's a crowd of people right behind them. And so, you know, the name of ministry is flexibility, so you just roll with it. So Jesus starts teaching them and ministering to them, and he starts healing the sick. Now, this is, takes a while to do all this. I mean, there's five, at least 5,000 people there. So uh, if not more, we think there were more. If there's 5,000 men, there's certainly, uh, you know, women and children behind. So, uh, so we think there were a lot more people than that. And so the disciples, they're kind of reading everything going on. And they're like, okay, we got a problem here. Jesus, you need to tell them to move on. And we see this in verse 12. Now, they, now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. All right? That's what they're talking about. You need to do something because this is going to be a crisis pretty soon. I mean, Domino's doesn't deliver out here. All right, Jesus? You know, there's no roach motel for these people to stay in tonight. Now, you could imagine a crowd that big, that far out of town, and it's nightfall, and they have nothing. I mean, just imagine all the stuff going on there. So, so the disciples imagined it, and, and they think what they make what they think is a reasonable request. And so they say, Jesus, you need to send them out. We need to get this thing moving. We need to get on to the next thing. Verse 13, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, you notice the emphasis with the word you. That's emphatic. You do it. You take care of the need. You meet the need. Now, what in the world is happening here? What's happening here is this, that, you know, Jesus is not alleviating a problem. He's exasperating it. He's making it worse because the disciples have no answer for this. All they got is you need to send them on. 
But, but Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You know, you take care of them. And, and, so, and so this is huge. Now, if you remember a little bit later, I mean, you probably haven't read, you know, the prior verses to this. But Jesus, you know, when he was sending them on this mission, he told them, don't bring any food or, or money with you. You don't, you don't need to worry about that. So they don't have anything. And so Jesus is making this impossible request of them, you know, for, for them to take care of it. They've got no food, no money. And then, and then they, this is their solution. They say this, verse 13, uh, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. So they have two solutions to this. So, so one solution would be we've got five loaves, you know, and two fish. All right, so, so when Luke's writing this, you see a contrast between the amount of people and the amount of need and then their small amount of provision. There's a huge contrast going, okay? Jesus and the disciples felt the contrast themselves. So they're like, all we've got are five loaves and two fish, and that's not nearly enough. Now, when I say the word loaf, what comes to the American mind is a big, long loaf of colonial bread. That's what, that's what we kind of picture. They've got like five loaves of that stuff. Now, what he's talking about here is, is middle and a Middle Eastern, you know, loaf, a biscuit, like a barley biscuit. It's not even that big at all. And, and it was really poor man's food back then. And so it was coarse, it was dry, and it was tasteless. And it's what poor people ate. And they've got five of those biscuits right there, you know what I mean, ready to go. They also have two fish. Typically, we kind of think, oh, man, they got a 10-pound big bass right there, you know what I mean? You know, two of those things. No, that's not what they got. They got, probably got two minnows, two, two sardines, if you will. They take the sardine or the little minnow and put it on the bread just to give the bread a little flavor. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, oh man, uh, and that's all they got. So it's not very tasty. And, um, and so that's, that's all that they have. And so that's not going to be enough. And the disciples kind of throw out there, I mean, the only way that you could take care of them is we buy their food for them. That'd be the only way to do that. And then in the other accounts, um, you know, they kind of mention, you know, it would take a year's wages just to give everybody a crouton. You know, that's about all that's going to do. So that's not going to really do any good. Now, what, what's happening here with all of this? Jesus is trying to bring them to the end of themselves. He's trying to bring them to a place, the disciples, where they see that they are completely unable to meet the need of the day. They can't do it. They are weak they are inadequate, and they do not have what it takes to meet the need. And I think what Jesus is doing here is exactly what he did in the boat last week, is he totally orchestrated this. And what he's trying to do is help them to see they are not sufficient. And at some point, you and I have to come to see that as well. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Not maybe feeding, you know, 5,000 people, but, but you know what I mean. You know, situations, circumstances that resemble this, where you are too weak to meet the need of the moment. You don't have what it takes to rise up to the challenge. You don't. You ever been in that situation? Maybe you're caring for your elderly parents. And your mom and your dad or one or the other, you know, they're struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. 
And you're like, I can't do this anymore. And you know what's coming. There's going to be a day when you can't even care for them. And you're recognizing your insufficiency. You know, maybe, maybe, you, maybe it's a cancer diagnosis and the cancer is back, the doctor has said. And there's nothing you can do. And you're face to face with your insufficiency to meet the need. Maybe you've got a, an adult son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter who's addicted to drugs. And you know the devastation that that is. And you can't meet the need. There's nothing you can do. Jesus will often bring us into circumstances and situations where our self-sufficiency is shattered. Because when we recognize that we are insufficient, that's where the beginning of seeing his sufficiency. Does that make sense? It's in admitting our weakness and our powerlessness that we begin to see God's strength and God's power. It's, it's when we recognize who we're not that we see who Jesus really is. And the reality is, is that the more competent you think you are to run your life and to manage your life, the more hungry you're going to be. Because you're always going to look to other things to satisfy you when only Jesus can do that. Because only he is sufficient. You know, I think that's what God had been trying to show the people of Israel for so many years, hundreds and hundreds of years. You guys remember the story, you know, and it's in the Old Testament. If you don't know your Old Testament, that's okay. But, you know, for 430 years, the Jews were slaves to the Egyptians. They were helpless. There's no way they could set themselves free or fight for their independence. You guys, they didn't even try. Because it would just end in death. And God told the people of Israel, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to set you free. And you remember the story how God raised up Charlton Heston and led them out of the, you know, and then through the red. You remember that? Yeah. Now, where did they go after that? Well, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Because the people of Israel wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't find their satisfaction in him. They wouldn't obey God. And so God would say, all right, we're going to take another lap in the desert. 40 years. Another lap. Another lap until you get it. Now, what did they eat in the wilderness? What did they eat in the desert? God gave them bread. And here is the thing. He said, look, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide this for you every single day. So you just take enough that you need just for that day. If you take any more, what's going to happen? It's going to go stale. It's going to spoil. And that's exactly what they did. Now, church, what was God trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them, I'm your sufficiency. He was trying to teach them, rely on me. You're not sufficient. You can't do it. There's nothing out here in the desert for you to kill and barbecue. I'm going to just give this to you. And you're going to rely on me. And I think what God was trying to teach the Israelites, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, and Jesus is trying to teach every single one of us today. What he's trying to say is, I'm your sufficiency. Don't look to yourself and your wisdom and your strength and your ability and your talent and your godliness. Look to mine. That's what it is. 
And so I don't know where you are with this. But I do know that discontentment flows out of you trying to secure your own life. You thinking that you have what it takes. Are you a parent today? Surely you've recognized you are not sufficient. Are you a single parent today? I mean, two parents are not you know, sufficient. Six parents are not sufficient, right? And you're doing this alone. Have you recognized your insufficiency to do this task? You see, I think recognizing our insufficiency is the place of saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this. It's not going to happen if you don't do it, God. See, see, recognizing Jesus' sufficiency starts with a declaration of dependence. That's the beginning of his sufficiency. So do you know that you don't have what it takes? I'm not trying to be bad news. But our entire culture tells us every single day, oh, yes, you do. You can do it. And God's saying, ah, you need to rely on me for this. I'll carry you, God says. You know, I, was, uh, I heard about this school teacher, high school school teacher, Marisha Schmoller uh, in Ohio. And she was having a conversation with her class one day. And they were talking about, you know, the school shootings and the horror, you know, just the tragic um, circumstances that we've seen in that over the past few years. And so she was talking about that with her kids. And Marissa is in a wheelchair. She's a school teacher, but she's in a wheelchair. She's, she's physically disabled. And so she was telling her students, she said, you know, if, if something like that ever happens here, you know, my job is to protect you. But, but she said, you know, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit limited in what I can do. And she just told her students, if you, you know, if something ever happens here and you just need to run and you can get to safety, you do it. And you don't look back and you don't worry about me. One of the class, one of her students raised his hand and said, Mr. Mr. Schmuller, um, if there's a crisis and we all have to run to safety, we're carrying you with us. You guys know what that is? That's the gospel. Where you're insufficient, God is sufficient. Your inability meets God's ability and he will carry you. He will carry you when you can't walk. That's the gospel. That's the picture we get just from this story. Now, there's a second picture that we get, and I think that is that Jesus is our satisfaction. He is, he is our satisfaction. Now, look with me at verse 14, because we get a picture of this. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and he had them sit down. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and set them before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I love that. Now, there's a lot going on in that passage. And I, I kind of read it fast, but there's a lot, lot going on. It's fascinating to me that Jesus takes these five barley biscuits and these two minnows. And what does he do? He thanks God for them. Like before he does anything, he's, he's, you know, he's just... He's just not stressed out about this. He just, he, just takes, he just takes what they have and he says, God, thank you for this. He, he blesses that. He speaks well of it. 
the smallest thing, the most tasteless thing, you know? He's just, God, thank you for this. What was he doing? I, I think he's trying to show us that, the, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's trying to show us that the smallest things in your life that God has provided are worthy of our gratitude and worthy of our praise. That, that everything in your life is a gift from God. And everything, we need to take moments through the day and say, God, thank you for the big things and thank you for the small things. Even five tasteless biscuits. I think the other thing that he does here by, you know, blessing them, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I mean, in my mind, the way I'm thinking, you know, Jesus is Lord of, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. All he has to do is speak, and there are Chick-fil-A chicken minis all over the place. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just come on up, form a line, you know, get your orange juice right here, and there's some napkins over there. You know, and that's kind of what, the way I think about it. But, you know, what does he do? He takes what they have. He takes the, the, the small amount of what they have. He blesses God for them and then prays for a miracle. And God uses what they have to feed the need that they have. And what that tells me is it tells me that God works through human limitation. That God works through human weakness. That God works through you know, men and women and students who recognize this is all that I have. And it's short. It's always short. It never rises up. It never meets the need. But that's okay, God, because you fill in. You fill in the gaps. Plus 12. 12 basketfuls, by the way. So God takes what little we have he takes, he takes our frailty, he takes our insufficiency, he takes our lack, he takes our scarcity, our scarcity, he takes our restrictions and our limitations, and when they are surrendered to God, he uses them to feed 5,000 people. That's pretty amazing. It's fascinating to me that God doesn't use strength, he uses weakness. It's all over scripture. Now, I think, and Luke really doesn't give us this part of the story. The other gospels tell us that a little boy is the one that offered the, the, the biscuits and the fish. And uh, I, you know, I was just kind of thinking about that a little bit. I mean, out of all the people that are, that are here, all these adults, all these people that are here, this little elementary school age kid, he's I mean, he's got it together. I mean, he's like got his little lunch with him. He knows he's going to need a snack later on. And he's prepared. He's like a Boy Scout. He's like ready to go. Nobody else is prepared. And so they ask the disciples and Jesus ask him, hey, can we, can we use your, your biscuits and your fish? Would that be okay? And you know what? He just offers it up in faith and surrender. Isn't that amazing? Like he has no assurance that he's getting anything back. For all he knows, he's losing it. Like he's prepared, he's hungry, he wants to eat, and he offers it up with an open hand. Isn't that fascinating? And what that tells me is that there is joy and satisfaction when we hold all of our life fully surrendered, fully in faith to God. That's where joy and satisfaction and contentment comes. When we look to God as our source and we offer ourselves to him, just like this little boy did. I think it's a pretty, pretty amazing. And it's so counter to the world, too. Have you noticed that? Because what does the world tell us? 
over and over and over again, they tell us, if you want to be happy, you got to make it happen. If you want to be happy, you've got to secure it for yourself. You got to go out and get it. And so if you, if you have nice clothes, then you could be happy. You drive a great car, then you could be happy. You've got a great, nice house, then you could be happy. Make enough money, you know, then you could be happy. You know, valedictorian, then you could be happy. All-star athlete, then you could be happy. And the world tells us all of this stuff will make us satisfied and content with our life. And you know what it is? They're all artificial fillers. They all promise they never deliver. Jesus is our sufficiency and Jesus is our satisfaction. That's the point of this miracle. That's what, that's, what we're, that's what we're really seeing. And I think that's at the heart of what is happening here. What is it that you think? What's the one thing that you, you're lacking right now? You think, if I had that, then I'd be happy. Don't bet on it. Because the world is not made that way. The problem is, is we are constantly being lied to and we constantly believe the lies. We just go out and chase it and chase it and chase it, but it never, we never find it. You know, uh, I'm so excited about football season. I'm sh- I know I'm preaching on this every week, seems like, uh, but just bear with me as we get started on football season. But I'm so excited about it. But you know, Tom Brady, the, uh, you know, he's 80 years old and he's still playing football. Um, he's won, I think he's won five Super Bowl championships. Uh, he really has. And uh, I mean, he's done everything. You guys, I mean, you, he, he has done everything. He's got everything. He has money, fame, security, you know, success. I mean, he's the greatest quarterback ever. And, you know, he was being interviewed on 60 Minutes by Steve Croft. And... Um, he admits in the interview that there's still something lacking in his life. He admits it. And I think that's pretty commendable of him to, to be that honest. But this is what he says. And I quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Now, he's got five now, but this was kind of an older interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, think, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it's all about. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I, I think it, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be, can it? Steve Croft in the interview pressed him on the answer. Brady responded by this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm still trying to find. He's got it all. But there's something missing. What's missing? You know, LeBron James said the exact same thing, but said it in a different way. He was reflecting on how fleeting fame and success are. And he was brutally honest. So he's won, he's a four-time league MVP. He's won, I think, three NBA championships and going to win a lot more for sure. But uh, he, he, this is what he said after winning his latest NBA championship, his last one. What really got to me when we won the NBA championship was how short of time it all lasted. He said the championship lasts, snaps his fingers just like that, 
The confetti rains, you go in the locker room, you pop the champagne, you go do the media, you have the parade, and then it's over. It's over. And you're looking around, and everybody's just back to normal. And he said, I was like, wow, that was unbelievable 48 hours. I'd like to do that again. He's saying winning a world championship and all the accolades and the fame and the notoriety didn't even last 48 hours. And then you're starting back up again. You know, the truth is this, everybody is hungry. We're just looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. And the reality is, is only Jesus can satisfy. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Most know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of people in this world, or there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings that arise within us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Man, you talk about brutally honest. He's hitting it right on the head. Church, there's just nothing in this world that can give you what your heart really wants. There's nothing. Only Jesus satisfies. You see verse 17? Luke writes, they all ate and were satisfied. And then, in, and then in John 6, where John explains this miracle a little bit more, you know, he gets a little bit more of the backstory on it for us. You know, Jesus says this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people are like, give me some of that bread. That's the bread I want. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall never hunger. You see, the bread of God that comes down from heaven is, who is that? It's Jesus who came down from heaven to give his life for a ransom for all. Who did that? Jesus did. And he's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about eternal life. Like when you die, you go to heaven, you know, and then you wear these white robes and you play the harp and you float around in clouds. You know what I mean? That's not eternal life. That's eternal hell. That's what that is. You know what eternal life is? It's life right now. It's the life of God living inside of you right now. It's having his presence and his love and his peace and his joy fill your life right now. doesn't make life easy. Life is hard. God is good. He's the one who gives you life. You know, Billy Graham tells the story of a time that he visited this, this wealthy millionaire in the Caribbean. He had this huge mansion on one of the Caribbean islands and it was on top of this mountain and so Billy Graham's visiting this guy and Billy Graham's looking out the window and he's got like a helipad, you know, just down the way a little bit. He's got a yacht over here and tennis courts down there. I mean, he's got everything. And this, you know, this millionaire looks at Billy Graham and, um, and says to him, says, you know, I'm one of the richest men in the world and yet I'm one of the saddest men in the world. You talk about brutally honest. Well, a little bit later on in the afternoon, uh, Billy Graham walked down the mountain a little bit and went to go visit a Baptist pastor. And, um, you know, this Baptist pastor was just poor of the poor, man. I mean, he just didn't have anything. And all he did, he spent most of his days caring for his two invalid sisters. 
And so Billy Graham's sitting at the table, the kitchen table, this Baptist pastor in his house. And, and the Baptist pastor looks at Billy Graham and says, Dr. Graham, he said, you know, I am so blessed. He said, I have to be the happiest man in the world. And what's the difference? The bread is what's the difference. The real bread. Jesus alone satisfies. But there's a third picture. Jesus is our supply. How does this bread come to us? Like, how do we get it? Well, Jesus is our supply. Look at verse 16. This is, this is just fascinating to me. Luke says, And taking the five loaves and the fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now I want you to notice the two verbs. He said a blessing and, and then he broke the bread. You notice those two verbs? He blessed and he broke. Those are very significant. Because you see, the next time we see those two verbs in tandem or the night before Jesus dies, when he's meeting with the disciples in the upper room and he shares within the Lord's Supper. And what does he do? He takes the bread and blesses it and then he breaks it. Do you want to know how you get this bread? You get it through Jesus' blessing and through Jesus' breaking. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross? Do you remember as he's hanging on the cross and people were mocking him and spitting on him and people were killing him? What was Jesus doing? He was blessing his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was praying for the very people doing this. He was, he was blessing them as he was being broken for them. And so, and so the bread comes to us when we realize Jesus was blessed, Jesus blessed and was broken for us as our substitute in our place. That's where it comes from. It comes from you and I recognizing the blessing and Jesus breaking. You see, the thing about bread is it can't sustain you if it's not torn to pieces. See, what keeps you whole is the bread being torn to pieces. Jesus was torn to pieces so that you and I wouldn't have to be. So that you and I could be made whole. He was broken so that you and I wouldn't have to be. That's where this bread comes from. And so that's the gospel. And you say, well, Scott, what do I need to do to receive it? I mean, like really practical. It's very simple. I say it all the time. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. It's not really two different things. It's, it's the same thing. Just two sides of the same coin. You know, when you, repentance is really just, you know, my life was going one direction and that was chasing the world and chasing everything the world promises to satisfy. But you know what? Repentance is changing directions. Now I'm going after God. Now I'm going after Jesus. I'm going after the bread. And it's really because you believe. See, you don't say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really going to repent. That doesn't make sense. The demons believe in Jesus. 
So, so the way that we get this bread is through believing the gospel. He was broken, so you wouldn't have to be and repenting of our sins. It's really that simple. Church, that's how much he loves you. That's what he did for you. That's where satisfaction and contentment come from. Recognizing the bread of life. So how hungry are you? Are you willing to take and eat? That's where satisfaction comes. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we just thank you for how much you really love us. And Lord, that, um, that truth and that reality comes under so much attack today. And the enemy causes us and plants doubts in our minds about your goodness and your love. But let there be no doubt. God, thank you for being our substitute. Lord, it was our sin that put you on the cross. It was our rebellion. It was our turning away from you that drove, that drove you to the cross. So thank you that we didn't have to go. Thank you that there's nothing in life that can fulfill us. Praise be to God, only you can. Thank you, God, that those desires in our life for fulfillment really signal we are not made for this world, we're made for another one. And so I pray that you would just show us that today, God. That you would just make us aware of that. That we would see through the lies of the world and our own selfishness and the enemy and that we would just see the true bread for who he really is. That Jesus is sufficient and Jesus, is, Jesus satisfies. So God, would you work today? We just ask the Holy Spirit to work in this place. You know, I want to just give you an invitation because I know in a, in a crowd of this big that there are a number of you that are not Christians. There are a number of you that, you know, you, you go to church or, you know, on the outside you look really good. You know, you got your life together, it looks like on the outside, but you know on the inside you're not satisfied. You know, you know you're not a Christian, number one, and you know, you're, number two, you've been chasing the world and then that doesn't satisfy. So you know those two things. So I'm going to give you an invitation today to receive Jesus as the bread of life today. I'm going to hand out the bread today. I'm going to let you spiritually eat it. And um, what that means is you're willing to repent and believe. That you see that your life's been going on one track and that God has said, nope, we're, you need to follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me. And so it's your heart today that you want to follow him. And you want to trust him as your substitute. So if you want to do that today, if you want to become a Christian today, would you just, would you just uh, pray this prayer with me? There's nothing uh, magical about the prayer, but, but we're going to pray it. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life right now. I confess that I have been chasing what the world says I need to chase. God, would you forgive me for that? Would you forgive me for not looking to you? But now, God, I am looking to you. I'm looking to Jesus as my bread. So come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a Christian today. 
And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who's prayed that prayer. God, would you just confirm with your grace and your peace and your presence today the work that you're doing. Confirm the new direction, the new life that we have in you. In Jesus' name.